As men, we stop leaning on our wife to lead our family spiritually and to get our kids up on Sunday morning and to pry us out of bed on Sunday morning and say, get up, we gotta go to church. Don't you think it's time as men that God's men rise up and say, you know what? I'm the one that God has called to lead my home, not my wife and not my children. It's your responsibility. And by the way, fellas, one of these days when you and I stand before Jesus Christ, your wife is not going to answer for that. It's not going to happen. God is not going to say to your wife, why did you not lead that home? He is going to look dead in the eye at us as fathers, and he's going to say, why did you not lead your home? Let's read on. Verse 3. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times. It's the number of completion. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Until he came near to his brother. Man, oh man, oh man, I love verse four. I'm telling you, y'all got me so messed up right now. I can't even hardly. Man. Verse four, look at this church. And Esau ran. And Esau ran to meet him. And embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. These are brothers. These are brothers. You know what's happened? Man, they just got restored. I'm going to preach on that for a few minutes, the story of forgiveness and restoration. You, you can be seated. Father, we thank you for your blessings. And Lord, thank you for the privilege to be in your house. That's what the choir's singing about. Your house. Lord, I pray now that you'll bless our discussion together. I know the hour's a little later than it normally would be. But I, believe, I do believe this. I believe this is a special order sermon from heaven. This is not the direction we had planned on going. And so, Spirit of God, I pray right now that you would seriously bind the powers of Satan and darkness and evil. And I pray you'd keep them away from this place. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we try just for a few moments, not long, not long, but I pray you'd help us for a few moments as we try to teach and preach the word of God. And I pray it'll be a help and I pray it'll set some people free. I pray some people will get saved. I pray some folks will get in the will of God. I pray some folks will get right. I pray, Father, that you'd revive the church, and I pray that we'd walk out of here today saying, God is good, and it was good to be in the house of the Lord. Bless our discussion this morning, please. We love you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray, and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. Well, I'm going to tell you something. This is one of my absolute favorite, favorite stories in the entire Word of God. And so Thursday, when the Spirit of God began to work in my heart and and I, I, I felt in my spirit that I needed to teach on this thing of forgiveness and restoration. Well, Genesis 33 is the first place I went uh, because I, I knew that story. I was familiar with that story. And so I began to read Genesis 33. And I'd read it before and I preached on it before, but I began to read it. And I'm telling you, God began to show me some things that I had never seen and never noticed before. And of course, that's because the word of God is always fresh every single time. It doesn't matter if you've read that same chapter or preached from it or to talk from it or had devotions in it. You can go back and read that same chapter again and God will give you something fresh 
all over again. Now, let me give you a little background behind Genesis chapter number 32 and Genesis 33. It's a wonderful story of forgiveness and restoration. Uh, And uh, the reason I use those two words is because it's not merely a story of forgiveness, but it is also a story of restoration. 20 years before we read uh, uh, Genesis 33, if you back up 20 years, you'll find out that Jacob has very deceitfully and deceptively, he has stolen his birthright from his brother Esau. Most of you know that story, and if you don't, you can go back and read it later in your devotions. But he steals the birthright from Esau. Esau's the firstborn, Jacob comes next. Uh, And with that birthright becomes, becomes great honor and great blessing. And Jacob is known as a supplanter. He's a, a deceiver. It's what he does. And Jacob literally tricks Esau out of his birthright and gets Esau convinced to sell his birthright uh, to Jacob. Well, after Esau realizes what he has done, our Bible tells us that Esau is so enraged, he is so enraged with bitterness that he literally declares that he's going to kill. He's going to kill his brother. Now, that's it's pretty bitter. It's pretty mad. We find that in Genesis 27, 41. The Bible says, And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. Now, again, I'm just trying to lay a little, a little foundation here. Uh, in Genesis 33, where we read today, it is now 20 years later. And Jacob decides to come home. God has led Jacob home. He leaves his uh, father-in-law Laban, and, and he decides to, decides to come to his homeland. Uh, but that means something. That means facing his long-lost brother of 20 years. It's been 20 years since Jacob has saw Esau. And so he's coming home. And when I read that, this is what I could not help but think about. Think of all the things these two have missed in 20 years of indifference. Man, think about that. Man, 20 years is a long time. People grow up in 20 years. People leave in 20 years. And I thought about this. He missed out on fellowship. They missed out on family. They missed out on seeing each of their children grow up. They missed out on pleasing their parents. 20 years this feud has been going on. Are y'all with me this morning? 20 years this has been going on. And Jacob has been away. And I'll tell you something else that I noticed. I noticed as you you get around Genesis 32 and Genesis 33, one of the things we notice is that Rebecca, their mother, is never mentioned alive. At this point, some scholars believe that while Jacob was away in Haran, that Rebecca most likely probably passed away. And so Jacob, goodness, Jacob's missed a lot. Man, he's, he's missed a lot. That's 20 years. Man, that is a, that's a lot of time lost. That's a lot of Christmases. That's a lot of Thanksgivings. That's a lot of birthday parties. That's a lot of anniversaries. That's a lot of special occasions. And then for 20 years, these guys have been mad at each other. In 20 years, they've, uh, they've parted ways. And for 20 years, they've, they've never come together. And we, we're thankful that we see a great story of forgiveness and restoration. 
Now, there's some things here I want to show you today and then tonight about this story of forgiveness that are incredibly, incredibly important. But to see that, we're going to have to go back a little bit. We're going to have to go back to Genesis 32. We read Genesis 33, but uh, and in Genesis 33, we see the culmination of forgiveness. But uh, really, in Genesis chapter 32, we see the basis for forgiveness and restoration. So look back there with me, if you will. Uh, Genesis 32, I'll read it fast. I know what time it is right now, and so I'm going to try to make my way through this quickly today. But Genesis 32, verse 1. Now, this is the buildup to forgiveness and restoration. And all these things are so important, and we'll unveil some of it this morning and then others tonight. Genesis 32, verse 1, the Bible says, and Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place, Manam. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau's brother into the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them saying, thus shall you speak unto my Lord Esau, thy servant Jacob, that saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. Verse five, and I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother Esau and also he cometh to meet thee and 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands and said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God and my father Isaac, the Lord which sits unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy at least of all, thy, all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Now, there's some very, very important things that we see here in Genesis chapter 32 that led up to a wonderful, wonderful story of forgiveness and restoration. For 20 years, these men have been parted. For 20 years, these men have been indifferent toward one another. For 20 years, they've been angry, angry at one another. And all of a sudden in Genesis 33, we find them embracing and weeping and kissing one another. Great story of forgiveness and restoration. Several things I want you, want you to, to, to notice. First of all, I want you to notice what I'm going to call the mention of Mayanam. The mention of Mayanam. Look at Genesis 32 and verse number one. The Bible says, and Jacob went on his way. Here he is. He's going back to his brother. He's going back home. He's, he's, he's going toward forgiveness. And Jacob went on his way. Now, this is sort of unique and odd all at the same time. The Bible says, and Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Verse 2 says, and when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host, and he called the name of that place Manam. Now, you say, preacher, what's so special about Manam? Well, this is a place where sort of unexpectedly, uh, angels meet with Jacob. I'm going to be honest with you. When I first read this, it didn't register. 
All right. So uh, in Genesis, uh, Genesis 31, Jacob is leaving his father-in-law Laban and he's going back home. And so he makes that decision. We're going to do it. We're going to follow God. We're going to go back home. I know that's going to, that, that, that's going to mean I'm going to have to meet up with Esau and we're going to have to try to get things worked out. Uh, and then we come to Genesis 32 and right off the bat, it talks about him meeting with angels and, and he names this place May and Am. And, uh, and then it goes on with the story and I'm thinking, Lord, what in the world? What, what, what do angels have to do with this story? And why is that, that mention of angels right here in the middle of this story of forgiveness and restoration? And uh, oh, listen, I want you to understand something. The word may and am means something. It means double camp. Double camp. It is the opposite of single camp. It's a word that means double camp or dual, dual camp. Now, I know you're not following me yet, and I don't expect you to, but hang on. This is what Jacob was saying. When those angels met with him, uh, he, he named the place May and Am, double camp, dual camp. And this is what Jacob is saying. This is no longer just my camp, but what used to be my camp now has the presence of God in it. It's a double camp. It used to be just me. It used to be just mine. But he said, now all of a sudden he said, here in this camp, God is in this camp. I'm here in this camp, but now it is a dual camp. It's a double camp because God is in my camp as well. Now, church, uh, this is what our Bible's teaching here. As soon as Jacob made a move toward forgiveness, the angels of God met with him. And it became not a single camp anymore. It became a double camp. What's that mean? That means the spiritual forces begin to emerge as helpers. And by the way, I believe this with all my heart. I believe these angels uh, gave Jacob direction on what he was to do next. Now, this is a picture, this is a picture of the blessing of God. Now, now, again, don't, don't miss me and don't lose me on this because this is so important. You say, Pastor, I'm still not with you. Okay, hang in there. I'm just saying this, you know what? It wasn't often that Jacob saw these angels, but all of a sudden Jacob makes a move toward right. All of a sudden Jacob says, all right, Lord, this is gonna be tough. I haven't seen my brother in 20 long years and, and, uh, and he hates me and he wants to kill me and now you're telling me to go back home and, uh, and, and, and Lord, I don't know about this and I'm gonna be honest, I'm a little concerned and I'm a little scared and, uh, and Esau, just the kind of guy he is, may, he may hurt us and, and God says, Jacob, you do what I tell you to do and Jacob says, Lord, I don't understand it all. I don't know what's gonna happen down the road but Lord, I'm willing to go back. I'm willing to make things right and as soon as he did that, guess what happened? The angels of God showed up. Yes, sir. And Jacob said, let me tell you about this place. It's called Mahanam. It used to be just me, but it's now me and God. He said, God is in this camp as well. Now, that leads me to say a couple things real quickly, church. How about this? Number one, the Bible promises divine supernatural blessings from God on those who are willing to forgive. Now take your Bibles with me and we're gonna have a little Bible study real quickly before we go. Now I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, very first book of your New Testament. Matthew chapter number uh, six, Matthew chapter six and look at verse number 14. God promises supernatural blessings uh, to those who are willing to forgive. 
Matthew 6, verse 14. Look what our Bible says. Hey, church, you all with me? Listen to me. I promise you what I'm preaching right now is more important than Golden Corral. I promise you what I'm preaching right now is more important than cake. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. I promise you that pot roast is not going to change your life. But what I'm preaching will change your life. Oh, listen, listen. Uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever listened to your pastor, listen to your pastor this morning. God promises divine supernatural blessings on those who are willing to forgive. God promises forgiveness to those who forgive. Matthew 6, 14, look what he says. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You don't have to turn now, I'll just read it for you. Luke 6, 37. The Bible says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. You know what that is? That is God promising, promising his blessing on you if you'll be willing to forgive. If you'll be willing to extend forgiveness. Oh yes, good neighbor, we're right on course this morning. I know we're headed in the right direction. Thank God I believe we're 100% in the will of God right now. And so I'm feeling mighty positive about this message. Amen. God promises forgiveness to those who forgive. I'll tell you something else. God promises blessing to those who forgive. Look in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter number three, toward the back of your Bible, toward the rear of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter number three. Man, I'll right to it. 1 Peter chapter three. And uh, look, if you will, at verse number eight. 1 Peter chapter three and verse number eight. God promises blessing to those who forgive. 1 Peter three, verse number eight. The Bible says, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion, one of another. Look at what he says here. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Look at verse nine. Look at verse nine. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. But what did he say? But what? But contrarywise, blessing, knowing that you're there and too called. Look at this last part. That ye should inherit a blessing. A blessing. It's the Greek word eulogio, and it means to cause to prosper, to make happy, to bestow blessings on. Listen to church, that's what I'm saying. Did you know the happiest people in this church are people who've learned to forgive? They've just learned to forgive. You say, Pastor, somebody did me wrong. Somebody cheated me. Somebody lied about me. Somebody slandered me. Somebody said something bad about me. Somebody took something from me. Uh, somebody, I mean, somebody just did something awful to me and I'm not belittling that and I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'm just telling you that we have a promise of God that if you'll look at that situation as bad as it is and say, you know what? I'm not gonna go through the rest of my life bitter and, and, and angry and in different, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to give it to God and I'm going to forgive. The Bible says if you'll do that, you can count on the blessings of Almighty God. Amen. And I just believe the word of God is true. God promises forgiveness to those who forgive. God promises blessing to those who forgive. God promises health to those who forgive. Look at James chapter number five. Look at verse number 15. James chapter five, verse 15. The Bible says, 
James 5, verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Look at verse 16. He says, confess your faults one to another. Quit acting like you don't ever make mistakes. Quit acting like you're Jesus incarnate. Quit acting like your breath never smells. And I'm sorry to be so crude, but quit acting like your feet never stink. Quit acting like, you know what, that everybody else is problematic and, uh, and, uh, and you are the epitome of Christ's likeness. No, the Bible says confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Look at this, that ye may be healed. If you're here this morning and you are struggling, struggling, struggling with physical affliction, you say, Pastor, any advice? Yeah, if you have any ought in your heart against anybody, today I'd get it settled. You say, you think that's gonna heal me? I have no idea what God might do, but I do know this, I know what the Bible says. And so the Bible promises divine blessing from God on those who forgive. Are you ready for this second one? The Bible promises divine supernatural cursing on those who refuse to forgive. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And look at verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 and look at verse number 14. Oh my, look at the words here. Hebrews 12, verse 14. The Bible says, verse 14. Follow what? Follow peace with who? Wow. How many believe you got every word Bible? Then that must mean that we're to follow peace with all men. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Watch this. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble. Notice the word, trouble. Uh, lest that uh, root of bitterness springing up trouble you. It is the Greek word inoculo, and it means to annoy. It means to harass. It means to be vexed, molested, troubled by demons. Wow. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Look at this last part. And thereby, what's the last part say? How many? Many be defiled. That word defiled there means contaminated, ceremonially or morally. Listen to this. Look at the word defiled there. And thereby many be defiled. In other words, if you are angry and unforgiving and bitter, the Bible says, number one, it's gonna trouble you. You're gonna be harassed. You're gonna be annoyed and even possibly by the powers of darkness. But the Bible says also that others, many, many are going to be defiled because of your unforgiveness. That word defiled, listen to this church. The word defiled literally means to die, D-Y-E. Not die like you're gonna pass away, but to die, D-Y-E, to die with another color. It means stain, oh mercy. In other words, if you were here this morning and you say, preacher, so-and-so did something to me and I will never forgive him, let me tell you what our Bible says. Number one, you, my friend, are gonna be troubled. You're gonna be annoyed, you're gonna be harassed even to the point of spiritual darkness 
But our Bible says that many are going to be dyed. Many, many are going to be stained. Your family's going to look different. That's what it's saying. Your family's going to look different from everybody else. You know what? If you're bitter, your kids are going to come up bitter. If you're an angry person, expect your kids to be angry. And so our Bible is teaching us something great here that if we say, you know what? I, I, I don't appreciate what was done. I don't appreciate what was said. But you know what? I am not going to go through the rest of my life bitter and indifferent and angry. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to let God take care of it. God says this. If you'll make a move toward, uh, toward forgiveness, you can live in May and Am. You can live in a dual camp. Is anybody here tired of living in your own camp? Some say, I don't understand why Brother Brandon shouts. I don't ever feel the need to shout. Maybe it's because you're living in a single camp. I don't understand how the choir gets up there and sings and they raise their hand and praise the Lord. And I don't even ever feel the need to raise my hand. I must go question, who's in your camp? Who's living in your camp? Most, most Americans would say, preacher, let me tell you who, who's living in my camp. Me, myself, and I. And God's not within 10 miles. This is what I'm saying. And this is what the Bible's teaching us, an incredible truth. Jacob, when Jacob said, Lord, I don't understand it all. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm sort of dreading getting right with, with Esau. But you said, do it. I'm going to do it. And as soon as he did that, his camp became a double camp. Come on now. I'm telling you, man, we ought to just stop for a few minutes and just shout that God would give us this kind of truth. Somebody said this. The man who refuses to forgive destroys the bridge over which he himself must cross. Someone said unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then hoping it'll kill your enemies. Charles Stanley, listen to this. I don't usually read this much in, my, in a message, but listen to this. He said a person who has an unforgiving spirit is always the real loser, much more so than the one against whom the grudge is held. Unforgiveness by its very nature prevents individuals from following through on many specifics of the Christian life and practically necessitates that they walk by the flesh rather than by the spirit. When we choose not to forgive in one relationship, we discover that it spills into other relationships and it destroys them. When the unforgiving person stands around and waits for the other to make restitution, he loses out on life because they never make any progress in their game. The sad fact is as they are standing around waiting, they form fleshly patterns of behavior and incorrect thought processes, regardless of how wrong the other person may have been, refusing to forgive means reaping the corruption in life. And that corruption begins in one relationship, including the relationship with God, and works its way into all the rest. How true. If you're here this morning and something's been done to you and you're holding on to that grudge, you know what happens? It messes you up for life. So, old story, you've heard the story. Dr. Tony Evans. He's on his way home from the office. He is uh, 
almost home. In fact, he said he was, he was on his street where his home is. And he, he's getting ready to turn his car on his street. And as he turns, somebody comes up behind him and bumps into his car. Pretty hard. He gets out and the other person gets out and he looks and he said, now I've got a dent. I've got a dent in my car, but it's not like terrible, terrible. So he says, I just said to the, the, the person that hit me, listen, let's just do this. Let's just trade insurance information and uh, we'll be on our way. And the other person said, I don't have insurance. And Dr. Tony Evans said, now I have a problem. I have a dent in my car that's not my fault. I didn't cause it. Somebody else brought it on. Somebody else did in my car, and yet he doesn't have the money to pay for it. What am I to do? And Tony Evans said, you know what I did? I just picked up the tab. And he said, I paid to have my car fixed. Wait a minute now. I paid to have my car fixed, and he said, you know what? As soon as I decided I'm just going to pay for the damages, I no longer had a dent in my car. You say, Pastor, what's that have to do with anything? A lot of dented people walking around right now. Dented, dented, dented. You work with some of them. You go to college with some of them. You work with some of them. And, uh, and you'll say, good morning. And they'll say, what's good about it? And you'll say, uh, have a good weekend. No, I did not. And you invite them to church. And they're not interested in church. They're not interested in God. And they're not interested in smiling. And they're not interested in joy. They're, all they're interested in is going to the bar and going to the honky-tonk and getting drunk and getting on another high and getting some more drugs. You know why? Because their life's been dented by somebody else. And they're waiting on somebody else to fix and what you want to do is just go ahead and fix the dent. And just let God take care of it. Quit waiting on somebody to come back and apologize. Well, pastor, as soon as they come, as soon as they come to me, why don't you go to them? Quit walking around complaining about your dent. When you have the power to do something about it. When you say, Brother, Brother Steve, you don't know what they did. I don't know what they did. And you don't know what they did to me. And we don't know what they did to everybody else. But I'll promise you this. You're not the only one that's ever been hurt or abused or cheated or lied about or mistreated. Everybody with me this morning? And so that means this. We ought to, listen, we ought to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm just going to give it to you. I'm not holding on to this the rest of my life. Now, I don't normally, I, again, I don't normally read this much. But I'm, I'm going to read this because I think it's powerful. Some of you have read a little book called The Hiding Place by a lady by the name of Corey Ten Boom. Corey and her family were Dutch. And uh, when the Third Reich began to take over Europe, they began to take Jews and began to send them off to prison camps and concentration camps. Corey Ten Boom's family made a little secret place in the wall, a hiding place, 
And Jewish people would be funneled to their house and they would hide those Jewish people in this little, just a little hole, but they would hide those Jewish people away from the Gestapo until they could get them out of Germany safely. Well, they were turned in. And Corey Ten Boom's dad went to a concentration camp, by the way, lasted 10 days, and he passed. Corey Ten Boom's sister, Betsy, also went to a concentration camp, died on Christmas Day. Corey Ten Boom also went. They were placed in several prisons, but the last prison was a, a prison called Ravens, Ravensbrook. Ravensbrook, concentration camp. Let me tell you something that's significant about Ravensbrook. Pretty much, if you ever went into Ravensbrook, it was a women's prison. If you went into Ravensbrook, you didn't come out. 50,000 Jewish women lost their lives in Ravensbrook. Listen to this. Of course, said it was in 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany. This was after the war. I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and, and I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. He came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrook concentration camp where we were sent. Now, he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message for all I. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. And the leather cap, the leather crop swinging from his belt, it was the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard in there. No, it was sure he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Against, again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours. As I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do, 
for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives as a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Listen to this next paragraph. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nurse their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand in, into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I'd never, listen to this, church, listen to this. Please don't pay attention. You listen to me. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, and she said this, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did right then. You know why? Because when Corey Ten Boom decided, I'm gonna shake the hand and forgive the man who was in this concentration camp, her camp became May and Am. Yes, sir. That's good. It became a double camp. And God said, I like that. I like that. Corey, I know he did you wrong. I know your dad died in a concentration camp. I know your sister died in a concentration camp. But I like that. And all of a sudden it became May and Am. I ask you a question. We're done. I know we've went over today. Are you living in May and Am? Are you living in a dual camp? Is God in your camp? Are spiritual forces at work in your life? If you want that to happen, let me tell you what's going to have to happen. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Would you bow your heads with us all over the house this morning? Father, thank you for this time we've had together. And God, I want to thank you personally for this challenge that you've given me. I need this. I need it. Personally, I need it. God, we're living in a day of offense. We're living in a day when it's easy to get your feelings hurt. We're living in a day when it's easy to, to get angry. And Lord, we're living in a time when the world says, just stay that way. And yet, Lord, our Bible is teaching us an absolutely divine truth. If we want God in our camp, we've got to forgive. We've got to make a move toward forgiveness.
and restoration. So Holy Ghost, please work in this service and this invitation. Please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Folks are already making their way to the altars. Personal workers, you guys will tiptoe down. That'd be great. Church, I hope it didn't lose you. I think you understand what I'm saying. Are you living in Mayanam? Are you living in that dual camp? Is God in your corner? Don't expect, listen, don't expect the blessings of God to pour out on you as long as you're harboring hard feelings, resentment, anger, unforgiveness. I'm just telling you, according to the authority of the Word of God, it's not going to happen. Preacher, I want a dual camp. I want a double camp. Pastor, I want God. I want God in my camp. Okay? He'll come. He'll join you. But you're going to have to make a move toward forgiveness. That's right. That's right. That's right. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Let me ask some questions quickly. While folks still continue to come. How many of you here right now, you'd say, Pastor, if I died right now, if I died right now, I am not 100% sure that I would go to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. Who is like that right now? You slip your hand up and let me pray for you. Raise it high so I don't miss you. Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Would you pray for me today? Anybody like that right now? You'd slip that hand up and let me pray for you. Anybody at all? I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? We're going to pray here in just a moment. Maybe there's somebody here this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking just for a moment. You'd say, Pastor, God knows what it's about. But I'm going to have to have his help. I want to live in May and Am. But I'm going to have to have his help. And I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. I need God's help with this. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed right now. With nobody looking, you just slip your hand up and say, Preacher, it's me, it's me, it's me. Yep, 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 yep. Yes, yes. Yep, hands going up. Let's all stand this morning, if you will, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you raise your hand right now, I'm gonna ask you to step out and make, a way, make your way toward this altar right now, as many as many are doing right now. Come on, come on, come on. Don't you leave this place with unforgiveness and resentment. You'll never stand before God and say, my preacher didn't tell me. Yes, I did tell you. I poured my heart out to you today. Life's too short. Life's too short to go through angry and bitter and indifferent. Give it to God today. Give it to God. Folks are still coming. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your blessings. Lord, this part's not really my ministry anyway. Lord, if the preacher changes them, they won't stay changed. God, it's got to be you. Oh, Lord, I pray today when we walk out of this place, we'll walk out with the peace of God in our hearts knowing 
we're living in Mayanam. We're living in a double camp. God is in our camp. God, fill our hearts with forgiveness. Fill our hearts with patience and understanding and compassion. Lord, help us to to live in peace with all men. I pray your work, Lord. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're watching live stream right now, we're delighted to have you watching. There's a number on the bottom of your screen right now, 704-327-5662. And we have some wonderful folks that are waiting right beside the phone right now. If you'll call that number, we would like to have somebody pray with you on the phone right now. Just call and they'll pick it up. They'll pick it up. Right before we sing, right before we sing. Hey church, I don't know what's wrong with me today, man. I'm just, I'm just a mess. I do know this though. I don't know much. You can look up this way. I don't know much. But I know enough to know this, that the kind of stuff I preached about this morning is the kind of stuff for, that revivals are made out of. And the stuff I've preached about today is also the kind of thing that will absolutely kill a church. It'll kill a church. And it'll kill your zeal and your Christian life and your joy. I hope to see you tonight, but I have no guarantee. I could pass away or Jesus may come before the service tonight. And when he comes, let's make sure, let's make sure we're right with the Lord. We're going to sing this little chorus that says, just as I am without one plea. And you sing it. If you need to come, we have some folks up here in the altar. Be glad to pray with you. You call the phone line if you need to. Let's sing it together as a church family today. All right. Amen. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to time and we're done today. Let's sing together. Ready? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to appreciate that. We're going to be dismissed in a